keep government open. We intend we have to do those imminently, uh, more imminently even uh, to address the full Obama agenda of building back better. Democrats are set to take control of the U.S. Senate, House, and the White House. This will go down as one of the most progressive administrations in American history. God willing, everything is on the table. You now can pass things without a filibuster threat. That's right. Oh, you'll regret this, and you may regret it a lot sooner than you think. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve... Welcome to the Ruthless Variety Program. I got to tell you, fellas, it's nice to be back here in the comfy confines of our studio. I thank you for, for filling in so we ably. We missed you. Yeah, we, we held down you. the fort. Although I think Hollywood Hen, she's... she's She's, yeah, right. she's a star. She, she could replace of, you. We got she a lot could. of good response. Yep. Watch her back. Can we talk for a minute about that Nancy Pelosi clip we let in with? Incredible. Wow. I thought I thought Biden was like the most not there person in our government. Now I am truly concerned. We have multiple branches where people are like <laughs> losing their mind on live television. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's incredible. You know my favorite part. The Obama agenda. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, <laughs> what? My favorite part of that was at the end where she tried to save it and be like, build back better. I I like to say build back better. <laughs> Many people are saying I'm the best person to to say it. It's like Biden spoke. It's right, like his, <laughs> his tagline. Right, and she's like, I like to say. She's it. like, saved it, saved it, <laughs> I saved it. Yeah, one, one of my favorite folks on Twitter, M. Brassenstein, had this tweet where he embeds that video. It was like, man, these brownies ain't shit. Five minutes later. <laughs> I mean, she was completely zonked. Zonked. Oh, my gosh. It's incredible. She is in charge of what's happening on Capitol Hill, which I think will give you a good indication as to why we are where we are. Yeah, not a lot of confidence. Not yeah. a I lot mean, of that explains a lot about the state of Capitol Hill right now. Oh, my goodness. Fellas, we got an absolutely massive program today. Yes. We have the former vice president of the United States, Mike Pence, on the program. Oh, so great. And the fellow Hoosier. I'm a Hoosier. So oh, yeah. It's just great to, to have a Hoosier on. And I think there's a lot of folks who want uh, to hear some answers to some questions they'd have for him, and they're going to get him. Uh, yeah, well, Smug, he always holds feet to the fire, no question about <laughs> it. I, uh, I'm excited. We're gonna, we were invited to help open up his new office space for the new nonprofit they've got there. So we're going to be coming live uh, later in the program from, from that space. I can't wait. It's going to be a great interview. Yeah, it should be fun. Um, so I think we should probably start just because the news altogether here is about Dem disarray, but it, just the extent of it. And by the way, by the way, by the way, I appreciated listening to you two assholes explain the finer nuances yeah. so this is how of Congress reconciliation works. on Tuesday. You know, I think, I think we did an <laughs> admirable job in your absence of having to be schooled up on this. Um, I work on the internet for a living. Um, not, an expert at the legislative process, but I think we did okay. I think you did great. I think you did great, but I did. I was enjoying myself. And just for those of you know, my absence, I was at the Ryder cup. Yes. And I, I actually did had no voice Yeah, on Monday. I could not speak. It was, I was silenced by the screams of joy for team USA. Well, you lost your voice because you're a Patriot. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And they win. And so it's all good. But, but anyway, thank you for the, the legislative uh, nuance. I, I hope you found it informative. I did. <laughs> I did. I did. And I'll also, before we delve in, just say that this episode is sponsored by Common Sense Leadership Fund. Um, guys, I don't know if you've, you have noticed. I think they've actually spent more than any other group fighting this $3.5 trillion deal. 
And if you it ask, like it's working. I mean, the way yeah. that this is in a mess. Yeah. Yeah. And what they're talking about, they're talking about a bunch of different stuff. I heard you guys cover some of the things that they were talking about the other day with the um, prescription drug stuff yeah. and all that. Yeah. Wild stuff. Wild stuff. But listen, so, so Democrats, I obviously want to raise taxes like that. Just go. That's what they do. Sure. Right. But they also tax retirement accounts. Yeah. They want to use that money to hire IRS agents. <laughs> To basically spy on you. It, it, like, right. This is so insane. And I'm glad that folks are really starting to talk about this because how crazy is this? Like we, we've had issues when, when President Obama was in office of where like you had the IRS essentially being used to attack conservative groups. Yeah. Th- this is, they're right back at it. Well, this is what, it, but it's actually, this is much worse, right? Because back in the lowest learner days when they were using the IRS to attack conservatives it was through nonprofits right it was yeah. basically trying to out them as contributors to nonprofits disclose all the donors and, and all that mess we've talked about before on the program this time they're trying to hire all these IRS agents to quote unquote intensify federal investigations of online transactions for anyone who has $600 of financial transactions over the course of a calendar year and you're like, okay, six hundred dollars. Oh, oh, if on on PayPal and Venmo. Well, so that's what I was gonna get to. Yeah, that's what I was gonna wait, get. Wait, so to. so hold on. So, so like, like you cover football league. Right, like right, right, right. You like cover brunch for the for the fellas, and suddenly you're getting an audit if you do it. Like if you <laughs> if you cover brunch for the fellas on like five or six occasions right. in, a, in a calendar year. Yeah, you're getting an audit. <laughs> PayPal and Venmo. I mean, honestly, that's what they want. They, they're putting energy into trying. To get into your Venmo account. Yeah. Unbelievable, right? Yeah. And, I mean, and, and you know, the left has always been very trustworthy when using the IRS to investigate people. You've got a great, <laughs> great trustworthy. I am just sort of naturally opposed to any time you have the government regulating things on the internet. And, I mean, this is no exception. It's like, it's just a cash grab. And it's an invasion of privacy. It's psychotic. It's crazy. Yes. I, I can't even imagine the person that came up with it. Like, I know I know a good thing. Let's get into your average American. And now I would say most Americans, at least of a certain demographic, that's how they process day-to-day transactions. Right. Right? Like office transactions amongst friends. You talk about fantasy football. You know, I, haircuts. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And, and all of a sudden now the IRS is going to get involved in that transaction? It's wild. Oh, man. Well, anyway, th- thanks a lot to Common Sense Leadership Fund for pointing this stuff out. I have not heard that one. I think they are sort of like pioneers at laying that one out. Because yeah, that I mean, argument I had not heard. Right, yeah. And then, I mean, re- recently in that other infrastructure bill, there's this whole thing on Bitcoin. Yeah. Remember that? I guess what I'm saying is like pay attention to this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, you just don't want it to, w- to, to not get the attention it deserves. You know, because there's just a lot going on right now. A lot of disarray. Yeah. Well, it, it, there is a tendency, and I'm guilty of this, to focus on just the idiocy. Right. Right? Because they can't line up any of this stuff. They don't have the votes in the House for the bipartisan infrastructure bill. They don't have the votes in the Senate for the $3.5 trillion boondoggle. They can't get a government funding bill through. Yeah. They've got a debt ceiling problem. Yeah, like, it's important to note that these dams are not only stupid, they're also malicious. That's the problem. So That's right. But like, you know, of course, our media is, talks about how wonderfully brilliant Nancy Pelosi is and that she always navigates this to a conclusion. Well, let me tell you how she spent her day today. Yeah. She spent her day whipping members of her conference to to raise the debt ceiling 
right? So they can continue this prolific spending on a bill that she knows that already is dead in the Senate. Yeah. Right. So she's using all of her political capital that, you know, look, I'm not, I only spent a few years in leadership, but it seems like those other two pieces of their agenda are bigger than the debt ceiling. Right. But she's used it all on something that is not going to happen. We, we long ago in this process, like the theater was revealed. Like right. people know it's fake. The reporting shows that it's fake. And yet she's like, it's an incredible commitment to the bit where we got a lot of deadlines coming up here. It's like, you could just do this. Like, why? That's one of my favorite and I think very important things to point out is the media created this Nancy Pelosi master strategist myth. Which, I mean, if you're not paying attention to how much she's just like tripping over herself, tripping over a caucus, stepping on rakes nonstop. Yeah. Right. And they're trying to push this idea. Actually, she's a genius for like having everything blow up in her face. Very, very master strategist. <laughs> Meanwhile, her counterpart on the other side uh, uh, in the minority, Mitch McConnell, took the popular stuff out of her bill, set it aside, passed it, sent it over to the House. Her moderates want that done. Her progressives don't want that done. They've split their allegiances to the point where they're fighting only each other. And and now their entire agenda seems imperiled. Well, we talked about it previously on the program, that whole bifurcation and all of that sort of stuff. And I got to admit, I was a little skeptical yeah. of like the whole thing just because it seems so complicated. Right. But like That's it's off. working out OK right <laughs> now. I, 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 yeah. Uh, credit where it's due. I remember when we were first having discussions on that trillion dollar vote in the Senate. And I, I was like, why? Why don't vote every Republican vote? No. But now I kind of see how it's created the situation where the Dems are cornered and now just fighting each other. Well, we're not talking about abolishing the filibuster. We're not talking about packing the court. We're not talking about HR one. You remember all that stuff. Yeah. It's like, like by doing that, um, you know, Republicans have been able to slow down this process and pit Democrats against Democrats. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is just like next level chess. I love it. Yeah, I mean, that's what's happened here. And and regardless of what the ultimate outcome is, obviously our preferred outcome here in the program is it all burns. Yeah, right? absolutely. That is 100% and, my preferred. And the, and the Biden agenda ends. Yes. And the presidency basically is a lame duck presidency, right? That's yeah. a preferred outcome. But even if they figured out how to get one or pieces of this thing over the finish line, they've spent the last two months torching their political standing in this country. Dude, and, and <clears throat> you know, They've also tried to basically grab bag everything into this three point five trillion to the point where like doing that has also slowed down the process. We now have a breaking news alert that the Senate parliamentarian has ruled out the Democrats immigration plan B that they are. They had now tried to figure out another way to sort of backdoor amnesty into this thing. And the parliamentarian shut them down again. But like, that's what they're wasting their time on. They're thinking about stuff. That's just so far beyond their scope. They have, they have bare majorities. Yes. That's far beyond the electoral mandate that they have. They're trying to wave 13 million new Americans in on a bare majority that entered this country illegally. (sighs) I mean, think about the audacity of just, just even saying that course that's not relevant yeah the parliamentarian i feel badly for that that lady's gotta be like you gotta be kidding me man (laughs) all across the board this whole thing has become just so insane and they know what a mess they're in and they're just openly coming up with the craziest of lies 
to try and build some support because, like you said, the political capital is gone. Like, right. you know, they completely wasted it trying to get this mess done with. That now you've got Jen Psaki being sent out in front of reporters being told or telling them, yeah, well, uh, the $3.5 trillion package actually costs $0. I mean, it's the, that's the most amazing thing I've ever heard in my life. It costs $0. Yeah. That's why it's uh, $3.5 trillion. It's actually zero. Yeah. No, I mean... Two plus two is five. The, the, the tax hikes cost no dollars, I guess. I mean, like, that's how they that's how they justify this. Like, well, I bought this on my credit card, so that means it's free. You remember when we said that there was, like, an 1,100% increase on smokeless tobacco? Yeah. Is that free? It's free. It, yeah, totally it's free. It's free. You should tell the gas... If they pass this, you should walk in your gas station and just grab some snooze off the old rack behind him and say, don't worry, they told me it was free. Biden said this is free now. This is free. <laughs> God, these people, man. I, I just, I can't. Well, anyway, we're going to stay on top of this whole thing. Um, it is obviously a fast-moving proposition. They're, they may or may not shut the government down. They may or may not try to default. But I think the important part is Democrats' incompetency has been on technicolor display over the last few weeks and i can't get enough of it 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 bears repeating they control the white house the house and the senate and they're having a hard time even keeping the lights on (laughs) should we talk some animals always yeah we got some animal news well i heard you guys talking about beavers yes which i was pissed that i missed the you missed the beavers it's a great segment i mean i there's nothing i like better than a good beaver discussion uh and and these were angry beavers it appeared oh yeah killer killer beaver killer beavers on their home turf, in the water, dangerous. It was going to kill that guy. He yeah. said straight up, it, it was going to kill me. So what was the upshot? It got the big beaver teeth on him, and he just... It was biting his head. It was trying to kill him in the water. He had to swim, and he was essentially like, if I had to swim like, you know, 10 more feet, I'd have drowned because it had just killed me. <laughs> it was like, if it made it onto land, it would have finished me off. I, the, I What I sort of visualize there is a beaver sort of floating along the surface, almost like a crocodile. <laughs> With the, like, tail thing? Yeah, thing. yeah. They got a big tail. You don't want to get hit by that tail. No. That thing, that thing leaves I a mean, mark. They build dams. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, the reason I bring up the beaver is because we've got another problem with those sort of like beaver-like animals. Critters. A lot of news out of Alaska, and I was surprised. There's like a ton of coverage about this. Uh, otters. River otters. Yeah. Wow. Big problem. Big problem. So, Eco News, I picked this one. Uh, it was like basically every publication in America had written some, but I picked Eco News because I figured, you know, They'll take the environmental side of this, and I can kind of read it. Anyway, what they say is authorities in Anchorage, Alaska, are, are they're urging their residents to do uh, or to act after a series of incidents which a group of river otters attacked humans and pets. I mean, this is incredible for, for a number of reasons. First, it seems, you know, I think otters are like semi-like beater, beavers, right? They're like similar it's like creatures. like a small beaver. Somewhat, you know. Yeah. But, Without the tail. But but these otters are rolling in gangs. They're saying they're, it's a group. <laughs> so it's no longer, oh, gosh, this is, you know, one crazy animal. No, they're pack hunting. They're they're rising up. Yeah. Yeah, they appear to be hunting animals or hunting people, too. And, and pets. pets. I mean, imagine if you're out with your dog in Alaska, having a great day in Alaska, and just, like, gang of otters show up and it's murder time. I mean, the animals really are rising up. <laughs> So, like, it bears the question, uh, Smug, how do you do against a, a pack of otters? I'll give credit. It was uh, it was Rick Perry when he was governor, right, that he was, like, on a run. And uh, I guess, like, I guess he had a dog or something with him. And, like, he saw a snake or something, and he pulled his gun out and just shot the thing. 
You remember this? <laughs> I don't. remember People tried that. giving him a hard time because he had a gun on him when he was going for a run. I'm like the guy's the governor of Texas. Like he could do whatever I he want wants. the governor of Texas to be strapped at all times. Strapped. I think it's in the Constitution. <laughs> yeah, right. I think it is too. Yeah, I think it is. So too. I think you got to start thinking that way. You know, we need concealed carry in this country for personal safety, not just from you know, you know, the criminals, crime. but from dangerous animals who are now rolling in packs. Like we got a gang problem in in Chicago. We got a gang problem in Alaska now with the animals. So, but like, you know, an otter is about shin high. Yeah. They move pretty quickly. Yeah. But they're, I mean, they're not a massive animal. How do you like your chances? No gun. What's that uh, thing? Would you rather fight uh, like a horse size something or? Horse size duck or a hundred duck size horses. Yeah. I think that's a similar thing is is with the otters. They know their strength is in numbers. So they're like, we're just going to roll deep. Like piranhas. Straight up. Yeah. 100%. 100%. And they got they got sharp teeth too, right? Do they they have things? sharp yeah, they, teeth. they eat wood and stuff. Oh, well, the, they can like crack open an oyster on their belly when they're floating in the water. <laughs> yeah, see, I mean, these are these are not animals to be trifled with. You know, they don't need a plate. I mean, they I just, could probably take one. I mean, that's the thing is, but they know this. They're like, all right, so we're going to go like an overwhelm. They're What's your them. move if one comes at you? Do you go I mean, for the kick? I mean, if you don't have a gun, you got to go. Like, Lassie, we had a great run. I'm not, <laughs> like, it's me <laughs> you're, or you're, you. You're ditching the dog. You're ditching the dog. <laughs> If there's a dozen I otters. Do, I love how he added in the dog I, component. Of, that wasn't really part of the discussion. It was, can pets? you take them? It you was like, go. well, uh, if I had a dog, I would use that dog as bait. <laughs> <laughs> Give up the dog and survive. I don't have to outrun I mean, the, dog the otters. The I have rules. to outrun my dog. Dog knows the rules. You know, we're, 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 we're a team. But like at the end of the day, when this got to be one of us, dog knows. It's his <laughs> That's dog. horrible. Dog jumps. He sicks the dog on the otter. Oh, but there's there's even more animal news. Bats as well are now you know stepping up their attacks. It says here from the New York Post, an Illinois man who woke up with a bat in his bedroom has died of rabies, the state's first human case of the disease in nearly seventy years. The man in his eighties, whose name is not released, awoke to a bat on his neck. Like this is legit horror movie, right? Uh, in August, so apparently this guy was struggling with it. And, uh, terrible, terrible. Wait, uh, yeah. Wait, he woke up with a bat on his on neck? On his neck. Like, Imagine like that with the, the coronavirus and everything else, and then you wake up and you're like, I got a bat on my I neck. Mean, this is like the beginning of a zombie movie. It really is. And and I don't see any, like... Filthy I, creatures. I, I think, uh, well, our, our next segment, I'll, I'll seg my opinion into this. In other animal news, the U.S. has declared more than 20 species extinct after exhaustive searches, Right. And here's here's my take on that. I feel like the bat should be amongst them. Bingo. Like, there are some animals. No, bats should... eat insects, man. They're good. So kill the insects. Yeah, kill the insects, too. Yeah. I mean, we can. It's kill not the like, insects, too. It's not too. like we can't only. How are you going to go about doing that? I don't know. The skeeters should have been gone a long time ago. <laughs> we got saying. chemicals, you know. We have chemicals for that. <laughs> wow. My, my yard's skeeter free. Crop dust raid. <laughs> But that's the thing is, I don't see, you know, except for, I think animals, which we like, we should try to keep around. You know, if eagles are endangered, we should protect those. But, like, the names of some of these animals. Uh, the Molokai creeper, which is a bird. Not missing that. <laughs> Flat pig toe mussel. I haven't seen that on a menu. He can go. <laughs> the the Shioto mad tom fish. Also haven't seen that on a menu. He can go. So the thing is, is I don't think we should necessarily feel bad. This is, you know, mankind's. Victories like against nature continue. Because <laughs> the thing is, it's not too long ago, like on a, on a long enough timeline, if you're thinking about it, they used to hunt us. You know, like caveman days, all these animals would take us out easy. They'd the, be for it. The Molokai creeper? Yeah. I mean, we, we should, used to corner you in a Benihana. We, we, we don't need... <laughs> 
we don't need to feel bad standing our ground. Like, you know, it's it, man has been at war with nature since the dawn of time. And it's at the end, it's only going to be one of us. So I say, you know, except for the animals that we like, like that look cool and stuff. Eh, if they go, they go. That's, you know, it's a... <laughs> an interesting take Spunk. it's an interesting take not exactly a conservationist take we've probably uh and, and see this is an important note so it says uh these most of these animals haven't been seen since the 80s so we i mean if we haven't even missed them you know what i mean like it's not like someone's like oh man that molokai creeper i i, I miss seeing that guy around <laughs> incredible is that the banihana flicking shrimp in here, <laughs> acceptable loss the creeper <laughs> All right. Humans first. All right. That's a fair that's a fair smug take. I feel like that that could have been predicted in some ways, actually. Uh, but on the on the transition here, did you guys see this thing about this artist? This the, the gallery paying the guy? Yeah, dude. I so, love this story. So this museum says they gave an artist eighty four grand in cash so it could use its artwork, right? The dude shows up with a blank piece of canvas mm-hmm. yeah. entirely blank that he entitled take the money and run so brilliant <laughs> so brilliant it's just brilliant i mean that's true artistry it's, it is it's performance arts like the dog to, ate my homework and he has to be paid in cash yeah super smart <laughs> like you're not asking the bank to like reverse a wire or anything like that it's mine good here's your here's your canvas this guy jens Hanning. he apparently was given is a danish guy given 84 grand to the from the museum and he delivered it, and uh, I don't think they're not happy about it. Let's just say that they're not happy about it. He was, uh, I mean, this was you. You brought this up. What was the name of the artist that did the thing with the shredding? It was Banksy, which was brilliant. He he had this like piece of art that you had to plug in. He was like, you got to plug this piece of art in for it to like show its full splendor. Right, and it was like covered in plexiglass or yeah. something, right? And like, it had like a. It was modem. like you have to unlock it. Yeah, and it had a, a modem so it could be connected to the internet, and so it's at an auction. The gavel goes down. Guy, I can't remember how much they paid, like a couple million dollars. And as soon as Banksy gets word of it, you know, because it's connected to the internet, he turns on a shredder and it just shreds, shreds the entire the, thing. Shreds the, the painting. piece of art. That's yeah. cool. I mean, it, how brilliant is that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, now all of a sudden now Hunter Biden's got a few more ideas. I mean, it? that's the thing is I was like, oh, is this Hunter Biden? Oh, no. It actually <laughs> is a Danish artist, which is surprising. And also, I bet Hunter doesn't settle for only 84K. You know, no, no, no. He's got to no, kick no. 10% up to the big guy. No, he's got to pay. kick it to the big guy. He's got out, like, how many mouths to feed at this point? You well, know, it, yeah, like, he, Joe isn't acknowledging he's got grandchildren. <laughs> Plus, he wants just a little trim off the Nord Stream, as, as Ashbrook brought it up the other day. You know? Yeah. It's a small price to pay. A couple, three, four, five hundred grand for a painting. <laughs> Get a pipeline in return. Congratulations. <laughs> you know what else we got to discuss? Hmm. So it, it looks like we're starting to have a race in Virginia. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I watched that debate between uh, the Republican Glenn Youngkin and Terry McAuliffe. Uh, a real unforced error by uh, McAuliffe there to give Youngkin a really poignant message in this closing stretch. I, if, if, if anybody... Uh, watch that. Um, basically, what happened was Yunkin is is you know attacking McCullough for having vetoed a bill that would have just you know basically notified parents of like the curriculum and what uh, their kids were learning about. And McCullough is like you know proud he vetoed that legislation, saying, and this is like a quote: "I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach." Unbelievable. Oh, unbelievable. 
unbelievable. And the, Can I get my property taxes back then? Yeah, please. I mean, I would like to. Are you kidding me? That is completely, that's insane. It's insane. So what I saw is Yunkin ably turned that around is up on the air with an ad already. Already, dude. Yeah. And he's and he sort of spliced it in with some public comments at some school board meetings of parents talking about like books that were in the library that were discussing pedophilia and stuff. Well, I, mean, I mean, these are like, in my opinion, no artistic merit to these books. Like, the, the, no. what was described as what was the, the content of these books? I mean, pedophilia, was completely unacceptable, and very like very specific, very graphic, awful. I don't think not just children. I don't think anyone should be you know exposed to that. It's it's awful, and you know the thing is, we were talking about this race back when we had Yunkin on. And by the yeah. way, we're gonna have him on again. We're gonna we're gonna have him on again. We've already put a request out. Um, but when we had him on the first time, we talked about the big issues and the things that can swing voters in Northern Virginia from one side to another. And one of the big things was schools, obviously. Yeah. Right. The reopenings with COVID, masks in your kids, things like that. But then the biggest thing that came to the fore during this campaign is the curriculum itself. It started with critical race theory. Right. And then as we found out through all these school board meetings in Loudoun County, Fairfax County and all these places, they're dealing with a much bigger problem than just that. Right. It's everything. Right. And the parents only know because, you know, they were on Zoom school for a year. That's right. Right. Like suddenly a lot of parents had their eyes open to what was being taught in their schools. Right. Right. Which I thought, like, you know, um, this is a democracy. Like, when you pay your property taxes and they use that money to fund the schools, like, it's still your school. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like faceless, nameless bureaucrats aren't then in, in charge of your child. Yeah, some liberal Clintonista doesn't get to teach my kid to be a communist. Right. That's not the way it works. It's not going to work. And if that's the way you want it to work... Okay, well, then let's have nationwide school choice and I can decide where to send my kid. If that's not an option, then sorry, but I'm going to show up at the school board meeting and yell at you. Like, that's how it works. I literally can't wait for Duncan to have his kids at age where he shows up. at. I mean, it's going to be like an unbelievable sight. I will bring lots of notes. (laughs) They will be detailed. They'll have the minute, the minute ring you. (laughs) He's going to do the desk clear. I mean, it'll be like, I will flip the table. So good. Real quick, I want to throw it to Hollywood Hen with a critical breaking news update on Britney Spears. Let's hit that music. You guys, I could not be more thrilled to report that Jamie Spears has been immediately suspended from Britney's conservatorship. Let's go. This is a huge win for Britney, for the Free Britney movement. I could not be more excited. It's the first step in ultimately getting her entire freedom. So what happens now is Jamie Spears is gone and a temporary conservator, another one is put in place, but very temporary. This is a part of her legal strategy um, because... They didn't want the conservatorship to end right away. So if they put this temporary person in, what that allows them to do is to go over all of the books and records um, that were in place when Jamie Spears was in charge. So basically, it's a total win for her side. They get Jamie Spears out. They get to look at all of the records. And her lawyer today said that probably by the November 12th hearing, 
she'll be completely free and people will be held to account. So the legal strategy there is you basically keep the books open. Yep. Right. So you keep the, con- the conservatorship in right. place to keep the books open so people can actually there can be actual justice for what's happened to her. That's incredible. So is there also like what happens with like the mental evaluation at that point? So as far as I know, at this point, they haven't really gotten to that point because it they didn't really talk about the full you know, termination, but he seems pretty confident that this thing will end November 12th without a mental evaluation. It seems, I don't know if that could change or not, but it seems like she might get everything she wants before Thanksgiving. Wow. Our fingers are crossed. Well, it's, you know, it's fantastic. You know, on the variety program here, we've undercut a lot of uh, your women wins. Yes. Um, But here's, here's a, here's a really strong one for me. An actual, Women win. Yes. You've de- you've delivered. You have, thank you. You have, you have stayed on this case and been so vigilant. And for that, we thank you. Thank you. You know, it's first win, best win. Yes. And I feel very good about it. Um, And just I would just like to say her her Instagram post that she posted after the um, hearing was her saying she was on cloud nine flying in a prop plane. And she was like, I'm on cloud nine. And um. I will say, I will note for our listeners, she also threw shade at her sister in the Instagram post. She said the ships are coming in for JL, which is Jamie Lynn. So it looks like she might be going after her whole family and and giving everybody, trying to take everybody into account at some point. She's going to take them all all down. down. So first women win and the the wins are going to continue, I think, for Britney. And then we'll all get our queen back as she should have been for 13 years. That's great. That is our update. That is our victory laugh. And we're just really excited. (laughs) We're here for it. Go Brit. Thank you very much, Hollywood Hen. Yep, anytime. So good. All right, one more thing we got to get to here before we play a game, fellas. And it's... uh, I can't believe this is news because it feels like a game. It's our man. And we didn't know entirely how to handle this. We may may have a song at some point as an ode to his good work on King of the Hill. But Matthew Dowd, the champion, the all-time champion of King of the Hill, has announced that he is running for lieutenant governor of Texas. As a Democrat. Uh, Which is incredible. And I I, I want to say I appreciate all the minions who, like, as soon as I woke up, I had, like, 50 notifications of, Mm -hmm. like, messages and I was tagged and, like, Dowd is running. I, I really have... A belief that Ruthless is like destroying this simulation somehow. It is. Of like all our jokes are manifesting. Like the White House chief of staff is essentially just running King of the Hill. Like his full time <laughs> job is just like using King of the Hill as a farm system. Yeah. For content. It claimed to fame. And now Dowd is running for lieutenant governor on top of Beto running. Like if we end up with a Beto Dowd ticket. <laughs> Ruthless is I mean, one. we might have to go to five days a week. That'll be just way too much content. Yeah, I mean, what I love about it the most is Matthew Dowd, who ostensibly was uh, employed to be a professional political prognosticator for all of these years, has decided to run in the worst political environment for Democrats that we've seen in a generation. <laughs> Very astute, Matt. Good luck. It tells you everything you need to know about how smart that guy is at politics, right? I mean, what a moron. I, I got, can't wait. I, I got to read this. I, I got this sent uh, by Ebeth. 
uh, on, on Twitter. This is from his campaign website, Dowd's. It says, Matthew Dowd is a renowned thought leader and writer and one of the most creative analysts, visionaries, and strategists of his generation. Dowd is a trusted, influential voice, author, and media analyst, widely respected for bringing a common-sense perspective to cultural, political, economic, and spiritual trends. Dude, that makes all that is so much better when you picture the fact that it was written in the third person. Dude, in the third person, if Kanye West read this, he'd be like, oh, that's too arrogant. Yeah, you can't, you can't <laughs> come up with that. I mean, this sounds like some like cult, like David Koresh is like, I'm a widely respected spiritual leader. Yeah. Right? When someone tells you they're a widely respected spiritual leader, that's got to be red flag. Watch yourself. You know? watch, watch, yourself. watch out for any compound building. Yeah, yeah. The next step is white Nikes and red Kool-Aid. Yeah, right? or trips to Guyana. <laughs> what a psycho. We're going to be all over this, guys. But you know what? Here, the important part we need to, we need to discuss, I think that means he's, he's probably retired from King of the Hill. Got to hang the jersey up. I mean, this is that's a very valid point. So uh, it was pointed out to me earlier that... Uh, for some time, we'd brought up how Dowd has been toning down. Remember, I said he was like a, he's become a basic bitch, where it's just like, yeah, right. happy birthday on this day in history. On this day in history, like he's he's not really dropping the takes. He, it's because of this, and he also went back and deleted like a hundred thousand of his tweets. Unbelievable! Because his tweets, I mean, his tweet history is pretty terrible. Well, we've got a lot of them on, yeah. on recording. Oh, oh yeah, we, well, we, it's we, a shame. Yeah. It's a shame. It would have been great to have a little swan song for old Matthew Dowd. Maybe we you can know. come up with something next week, some kind of we a, do a fitting special. tribute. Because the guy's still the all-time champion of King of the Hill. Yeah. yeah. We'll have a fitting tribute. Okay. I don't know what it'll be, but we got to get to our own King of the Hill this week. Wow. Fantastic. Well, let's go ringside. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention, please. It's time for King hill and now in the red corner fighting out of terry mccullough's campaign headquarters our challenger neocon failson bill crystal <laughs> and now Hiding out of Ron Klain's desk drawer. And reigning champion of the world, Jennifer Brainworms Rubin. <laughs> so good. <laughs> I had to I had to bring Crystal back. He's been a, he's been away for a while. Yeah. He's been away for a while, but I thought given, you know, his name popping up as a conservative endorsing in the Virginia governor's race and things like that, like you can't just leave him on the sidelines. I just would love to know in the polling crosstabs, like who is the Republican audience that's like, (laughs) oh my gosh, Bill Crystal's behind you. Do they all work for Northrop Grumman? (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's probably right. All right, champion, what do you got for me? Boy, I mean, Jen Rubin was on another heater. A lot of great choices. I, I, I really want to, I, I think I can take this in two rounds. So I want to try to take this just straight up. Mm. Short and sweet. Jen Rubin, 11.08 a.m. I mean, she was she was on a tear. <clears throat> if you need exception to filibuster to prevent GOP from causing a default, it might be time to consider whether we should have it at all. <laughs> 
she still doesn't understand that None it can be it. passed on a simple majority. She doesn't. Number one, she doesn't understand how reconciliation works. I, you know, as someone very familiar with how Congress. Oh yes, yeah, you're expert, smug. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. So she doesn't understand you can do reconciliation with 50. That's exactly whole, right, whole Smug. point of it, right? Yeah. yeah, you should teach a course on this. <laughs> <laughs> That's classic. Um, number two, she uses this to be like, listen, I mean, Dems are in control of every branch of government. This is why we need to get rid of the filibuster. <laughs> Dude, so I, I was going to, I'm adjusting. Okay. I'm adjusting based on what Smug played because I feel like I've met, I got the same thing. Okay. Only we tune, tune it up just a touch. Mm. Here's Bill Crystal on the 28th, mid-afternoon. It would be dramatic if on Thursday afternoon, just before the end of the fiscal year, Schumer brings the CR debt ceiling bill back up, VP Harris rules the filibuster shouldn't apply to it, and Schumer has 50 votes to sustain the ruling of the chair. <laughs> First of all, if you categorize anything happening in the process of legislative as maneuvering dramatic. as dramatic, you are such a nerd and a loser. It's ha- it has a certain Sorkin-esque quality to it, though, right? It really does. It really does. It's, wow. a, it's a beautiful little little deal because what he's saying... I'll translate. He wants to eliminate the filibuster. Right. 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 Uh, but but he wants to do it in the context of the debt ceiling bill, like not even on their agenda, uh, and and suggesting that there's no other way to do it. Yes. Um, so they're very similar. Ruben has had this take before, though, and it doesn't have the artistic flourish that Bill Crystal's take the dramatic, here. The, the dramatic, the yeah. Sorkin. I think for that reason, Crystal wins round one. I can understand that. And it's been a while since we've had Crystal. And you're right. Like, the thing is, is he is so, like, <laughs> over the top on his shit. Like, he sees things as this movie. Yeah. yeah. Where it's like Kamala walks in all dramatic. You do get a little, <laughs> dude, what? As judge and jury, you do get a little, I think, of fatigue of, like, you know, someone who's on a lot. Yeah. Like, Ruben, where, like, meh, it's Ruben. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like a little recency bias. Like you get Crystal in here and you forget the guy's got some artistic yeah, flourish. Yeah, fresh takes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's get off the bench. Yeah. So because of that, I'm... Oh, oh go I got to go. Go ahead, go ahead. All right, so I'll adjust accordingly having round one. Uh, okay, here we go. Bill Crystal. Uh, this is the 29th, bright and early. The authoritarianism is no longer something that occasionally rears its ugly head. It's a central feature of the Trumpist right. Oh, man, I got this. This is cake. Okay. All right. I, I'm so ready for this. September 28th, 503. This is how, how Ruben wraps up her workday. In regards to the hearing with, with Millie and such that yeah. was happening yesterday. Testimony confirmed an uncomfortable truth. The 20-year war to create a viable Afghan state was a fruitless, misguided, and arrogant undertaking. Biden finally decided not to sacrifice more troops and spend more money on an unwinnable venture. From Jen Rubin, history's number one supporter and proponent of invading Uh, Afghanistan and every other country on Earth. It's always good. Oh, you know how to strike at the heart of Judge and Jerry. And like the... 
beyond audacity and shamelessness, this is like another dimension of have you no shame? It's have you no shame? Right, like, no shame. It's a fruitless war. And, and we knew from day one. And also in that it's process, in that process, you know, running interference for Joe Biden lying about the fact that his military advisors did tell him exactly to have right. troops. Exactly right. And he said on live television, no, they didn't. That <laughs> did not happen. Boston, every every military. Right. Every, so who's lying? Yep. But like Jen, of course, figures out a way to backflip out of that and run interference for Biden. I'm. Can can you can you check Ron Klain to see if he's RT'd that? Oh, oh, good question. Ooh, that's an added an added Benny. I don't know. It feels like that's an additional component. Holmes, can you reread yours real quick? Sure, I sure can. It's um, the authoritarianism is no longer something that occasionally rears its ugly head. It's a central feature of the Trumpist right. Is that apropos of nothing? Or is he quote tweeting something? He's quote tweeting uh, J.D. Vance commentary on Tucker Carlson's show. Oh. Okay. Uh, when talking about the border and whether companies that sort of uh, promote open borders are, are able to have their assets seized. Ah. And uh, for an update, sadly, Klein did not retweet this it one. You know what it tells me is she's so desperate to get back into the good graces of Ron Klein. That's she's, it. Well, he switched to boot. The the, the yeah. boot thing's really getting to her. She's really bringing the, like, you know, nuclear-grade brainworm takes. If uh, Listeners out there, if you get a chance, go over to Fox News and read uh, Joey Wolfson's latest piece on uh, the drama between Ron Klain RTing Max Boot and uh, <laughs> basically cheating on Jen Rubin. It's it's hilarious. It's um, really good. So I think round two there has to go to smug. Yeah. Excellent. That's okay. That's okay because I packed a nuclear weapon. Wow. Well, I got I got a fire take too. I mean, I got a few to choose from. I want you, you've got to go first, but I do have an inquiry into the judge and jury before my turn. I think ask the question now. It might it might apply to one of the ones I have to choose from. Well, I think I'll let I'll We have an inquiry? I think I'll conduct my own my own prosecution, thank you. All, All right. right. So so I'm going to go with this because it's just it's bonkers. It's just it's just bonkers. <clears throat> September 28th, 8:30 in the morning. She's starting her day like this. <coughs> Republicans are neither conservative in economic outlook Look at the business community's reaction to the debt ceiling standoff. Nor pro-life. Consider the innocent life they put at risk in their management of the pandemic. Oh. Wow. So the the, pandemic one is where it really gets The the Republican conservative approach to businesses is like the government shouldn't tell a business what to do. She's like, "Uh uh-uh. Nope. Nope. And then pro-life is no longer meaning opposing abortion. It's just like, well, hey. Well, yeah. Coronavirus is is adult abortion or something. Yikes. Yikes is right. Yikes is right. All right, so I've got an inquiry. Inquiry. What I'm about to embark upon is Bill Crystal reformatting a poem by T.S. Eliot. No. <laughs> My question is that he spaced it out in such where it goes over two tweets. Okay. Uh, if I eliminate <clears throat> his spacing, I can get this into one tweet, but he, put, he did two tweets. 
do you want me to just read the first half of it? Well, so considering it's poetry and there's spacing involved there, it is one thought. So one I, thought. I, I, the judge rules that you can read the full poem. Okay. The poem is a reworking of The Hollow Man by T.S. Eliot. Uh, it is not uh, disclosed. He does not disclose that that's what it is. Okay. The Mitch McConnell Republicans. We are the hollow men. We are the stuffed men. Leaning together, hand-pieced, filled with straw. Alas, our dried voices when we whisper together, all quiet and meaningless. As wind in the dry grass or rat's feet over broken glass in our dry cellar. This is the way the grand old party ends. This is the way the grand old party ends. This is the way the grand old party ends. Not with a bang, but a whimper. <laughs> just hand me the fucking title, dude. <laughs> it's just... What's incredible? He didn't actually change that much. No. <laughs> he, he just cribbed a famous poem. That's the best part. And he changed three words. Changed. He changed instead of, you know, in, in T.S. Eliot, it, the ending is this is the way the world ends. Right. Right. right? Four right. times. Right. And then out with a bang with a whimper. So he just says this is the way the grand old party ends. Yes. Three times. Yes. Not with a bang with a whimper. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of uh, in The Office when Michael Scott, you know, the main character, <laughs> oh, he so puts good. a quote on the wall that says you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. And then he puts... You know, he attributes it to Wayne Gretzky, and then underneath it, he attributes it, attributes it to himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a walk. I mean, that's it. That's <laughs> it. I mean, that's how a victory. Full of himself is this guy? <laughs> Incredible. Like, it is sickening. <laughs> Incredible. I mean, this Crystal, guy. He's welcome shameless. back. If it wasn't for Irving Crystal, no one would know how who this guy is. Nope. Never worked a job. Just had a patron sickening oh fellas fellas i'll take the victory welcome back bill crystal i can't wait to see the updated standings but now we have the main event let's go to the interview with vice president mike pence mr vice president thank you so much for having us here tonight this beautiful evening overlooking the capitol opening your new offices this is just an incredible treat but i think you've made one error you you invited the Ruthless Variety Program, <laughs> which for those of you who aren't listeners, it's not exactly Jim Lair up here, right? We <laughs> keep a little light. We try not to go over the edge. We wouldn't want that. But, but we like to have some fun in the process, too. So That's great. I want to thank you first for, for welcoming everybody here to Advancing American uh, Freedom, which is just gorgeous. This office space is incredible. Well, thank, thank you, Josh. And first, uh, would you all join me in uh, welcoming Ruthless to Advancing America's Freedoms kickoff event here in Washington, D.C.? Um, you got, I, mean, look, I just got into the podcast world myself. That's, what that's I right. That's what I was going to say. And I'll, you know, I mean, I'll never be as big as Ruthless, but <laughs> I'm hoping to be in the conversation. But you guys have, uh, you guys have created a great forum. And uh, as we have opened up our Advancing American Freedom Office here, which is an organization that's designed to kind of articulating the conservative agenda that, that has evolved from, from Reagan to Trump and uh, laying a foundation for 
for renewal in the future, for victories in the future. I just I, I couldn't think of a better podcast to have come and join us at this big day. Oh, that's perfect. Awesome. That's perfect. You know, you may be new to the podcasting game. I'm very new. But I've done one podcast. But you, you are but you are not new to the medium itself. You had a distinguished radio career back in your day. I had a radio career. <laughs> I was wondering I was I was wondering if uh if, uh, for I was li- big in Bedford. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> if you could uh, give our listeners a yeah. little t- a taste of the Mike Pence show, you're coming back from commercial. Give us some of that old vintage. It's the old vintage Mike Pence. Yeah. Well, we don't. We'd always come back. I know you guys do production values a lot, but on the radio show, we'd we'd always come back with some kind of a soundbite from right. a favorite movie or. A television program, and uh, almost invariably they were targeted at making fun of me. Because I'm somebody, you know, I'm a conservative, but I'm not in a bad mood about it. Right, right. And I I always thought, you can talk about these issues in a significant way, but like Smug does all the time. I mean, if you add some humor in, a lot of times you could bring a lot more people in, particularly when you add humility to that. So I... Uh, the radio show, and I'm, I'm writing a little bit about this in my book right now, writing about my brief and unmemorable career in talk radio. Um, but it's it's been great going back to those memories and remembering how much fun it is. But I, it's fascinating to me to see the way, you know, all of my kids just kept telling me. My kids are all in their 20s, and they said, Dad, you got to get a podcast. <laughs> That's right. And I said, right. you know, like, what's a podcast? And uh, – <laughs> So they caught me all up. Now, I was a little, been a little busy the last four years. So you don't say. Not a lot of time for podcasts, but uh, but I've been I've been leaning into it, and it feels to me a lot like talk radio did in the early '90s. You know, Rush Limbaugh emerges in yeah. about 1989. He's he's a phenomenon all across the nation, and I was one of those people that started a show that syndicated just in Indiana. Uh, and a lot of these, a lot of these shows emerged. It was an early, you know, time of innovation in talk radio, and I see the same thing. I see the same thing happening uh, online and, and and with podcasts. Yeah, and you don't have to do the weather at sevens and nines either. You can just kind of let it flow, whatever you want to talk about, right? <laughs> no call signs, just Mike Pence. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> now that you mention it. Uh, yeah, but I, you know, my wife would often listen to the radio show. You asked what it was like, and our we had three little kids, and my wife would often listen to the radio show in the minivan, and I'd come back from the shows three hours a day, you know, before noon, and I'd say, "What do you think of the show?" And she, because I'd always open the show with a monologue and then start taking calls, and she always say, "You know, it got really good after you start taking calls." <laughs> <laughs> At least she listens. My wife does not listen. Uh, I don't think yours does either. Mine either. Mine either. You won't. I'd like to test that theory. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of people listen to Ruthless. We have we have quite a few. Our families, notwithstanding. Uh, <laughs> but listen. So I want to talk about everything you're doing here because. Yeah, thanks. Look, you, you obviously four years worked as hard as you could possibly work. You get the back end of that. You got a nice life. You got nice friends. You got a lot of. You, except you just keep driving into this. You, you started. This particular group, you have a podcast. You've got traveling all over the country, um, still writing the game. And I'm writing a book. And you're writing a book. Yeah, and almost everybody's excited about it. <laughs> uh, and it, look, for me, honestly, it's the, it's the calling of my life. 
to stand for the conservative values that I was raised to believe in, all the values that made this country great, strong national defense, free market economics, traditional values. And, um, and I've had great opportunities from the years in, in talk radio. I also worked in public policy. I actually started a, a state group uh, back in the 90s that was part of the state think tank movement um, that was a state version of exactly what we've set up with Advancing American Freedom. You, you bring together incredibly talented people and you create kind of an idea factory. And, uh, and I couldn't be more proud to be affiliated with the Heritage Foundation, Young America's Foundation. And the conservative movement is so blessed with so many opportunities of organizations, as you know, Josh, that are out there telling freedom's story. And, uh, and so for me, once we left the White House, uh, other than moving home to Indiana, uh, Karen and I just immediately said, how do we get back in the fight for freedom. And that's where I'm going to spend the rest of my life, I uh, promise you're, you're. That's great. Well, listen, that, that takes a lot of courage, obviously, given everything that the conservative movement has been through here. And, and the rebuilding uh, effort in 2022 feels like it is more than underway. Um, I think there is a, not only a ton of opportunity out there. I mean, these guys are not exactly making it difficult on us to uh, make the case against democratic governance, <laughs> don't you think? Look, I, I, I had an event, a great event on Capitol Hill. I've been traveling the country helping candidates for the House and the Senate. And I'll, I'll just make a prediction here on, on Ruthless. Okay? I like this. We're going to win back the Congress in 2022, and we're going to win back America in there 2024. Go. Right? Let's go. go. There you go. I really believe we are. And I think it's a combination of things. Number one, it's the record that we generated with the support of great Republican leaders in the House and the Senate some of whom are with us here tonight. Um, it's a record of a strong military, of, of reviving the economy through less taxes, less regulation, more American energy, free and fair trade. It's about, it's about judges appointed to our courts who will uphold uh, all the God-given liberties enshrined in our Constitution. It's that record. But to your point, Josh, it's also about what's going on down the street. Yeah. Uh, and I, I got to tell you, traveling around the country... I mean, I, I, I thought it'd be bad. I didn't think it'd be this bad. Uh, I mean, to see the way literally uh, left-wing socialist ideology is in the saddle on virtually every issue. I mean, all the way up to this week's, you know, massive effort, the so-called infrastructure bill, and then the $5.5 the .5 trillion, you know, massive expansion of the federal government, $2 trillion dollars in tax increases, but add to that uh, the, the disaster on the southern border, which was which is a direct result uh, of President Biden undoing the successful policies right. of our administration. Uh, add to that uh, the, the disastrous and disgraceful withdrawal uh, of American forces uh, from Afghanistan before we had every American and every American ally out uh, and you know, I, I my my heart broke. I I I sat and I prayed and spent time with the family of uh, of Corporal Humberto Sanchez, who was one of the 13 service members that we lost in Kabul. So everywhere I travel around the country, I hear people coming up and saying, you know, we we're so grateful for the the strong stand at home and abroad for a growing economy for a secure border, for standing with law enforcement, standing up for all our liberties, and everything that we're seeing here, I think, is setting the stage 
for a tremendous uh, election in 2022, and I'm just absolutely determined uh, to make sure that, that our group is adding the ideas, the ammunition of ideas to Americans as we go into those debates. And uh, on my own time, I'm going to be out there helping every one of the men and women that are standing for, uh, for elected no, I know you will. If I think it's going to be a great year. One thing we could count on. And by the way, I've been campaigning with Glenn Youngkin in Virginia. Yep. Hey, Glenn you. Youngkin's going to be the next governor of the state of Virginia. I'll predict it right here on Ruthless. Your lips to God's ears. Yeah. Uh, we can't deal with Terry McAuliffe again. And I know our kids can't uh, after his education response last night, which is somewhere unbelievable. Um, but I, but I, wanted to, I want to get to Afghanistan. But ultimately, <laughs> we're all watching everybody on Capitol Hill right now dealing with the basic functions of government and the inability to keep the lights on, to do things like the debt ceiling, right? You were engaged in a number of those discussions with Nancy Pelosi, uh, you know, with Chuck Schumer, Mitch McConnell up there. Give us a little insight into that room right now, because I got to imagine you guys had a, a lot more order to it than what seems to be appearing right now. Well, I think, I think the biggest, I, I would say this, I, I wasn't surprised, but I was deeply disappointed. That after a year where everything that we did in response to the COVID pandemic with the Congress, we did in a bipartisan way. I mean, every bill, every bill we passed to deal with COVID passed on an overwhelmingly bipartisan basis. And then the first bill that they moved on COVID passed on a partisan basis. And, and I, I think that set the tone for uh, the 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 environment that we have in the Congress today, literally, it really does remind me of, of some 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah, me too. 10 or 11 years ago. Yeah. I mean, for those, there's a lot of young people here at Advancing American Freedom tonight, so you're too young to remember, so I'll help you. So 2000, after 2008, we had a new Democrat president. We had a Democrat majority in the Senate and a Democrat majority in the House of Representatives, led by Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Sound familiar? Yeah. <laughs> and that's what we had. But from very early on, instead of working with Republicans, the Obama administration came. And you remember that stimulus bill? Oh, yeah. You were working on the Hill yeah. at the time. Yeah, absolutely. They came, and, and instead of working on a bipartisan basis to do some kind of an infrastructure bill as the economy was recovering in, in the wake of the crisis on Wall Street, Instead, they just they jammed through uh, a liberal kind of wish list and called it a stimulus bill. And Republicans, as they've done over and over again in the House and Senate in this year, all came together, all took a strong stand and, and, and rallied against that kind of politics. And, and I just I, I honestly believe that this this freight train of, of big government socialism that 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 the price tag of which is maybe 5.5 trillion, yeah, right. uh, probably many times that at the end of the day, is just one more example of that kind of politics that really is grinding everything to a halt yeah. and, and represents a, a failure of leadership by the administration, by the president, uh, and by uh, the soon-to-be former Speaker of the House and former Majority. Yeah, but I, I was told it cost zero dollars. I think Jen Psaki just said that the other day, right? It's a zero-dollar bill, but also cost three and a half trillion. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> makes sense. Yeah, right. That's, right. That, that's not math that makes a lot of sense on the variety program. Yeah, we're, we're trying to figure that one out. Yeah, that's not going to work. <laughs> that's not going to work. No, I, look, but I, 
you know, I, I'm, as I said, I'm, I'm incredibly proud of the way our administration worked on an equal basis with members of both parties of Congress during COVID, during my time leading the White House Coronavirus Task Force, worked, worked on a bipartisan basis with every governor uh, in America to, to meet that moment. And uh, uh, I think what the American people today are seeing is, I like to say, you know, Bernie Sanders lost the nomination, but he won the party. That's right. That's I mean, true. I mean, in a very real sense. I mean, I served in the House with Bernie Sanders, and uh, he's a socialist. I, it's not a pejorative. It's what he would, just how he would describe himself on yeah, most that's days. That's what he says himself, right? Yeah. And <laughs> now he's in the Senate, and uh, his ideas are in the saddle. And uh, and so our our party, it, it's fallen to our party uh, this year in in uh, on the floor, and next year in the campaigns to offer the American people an alternative. That, uh, that rejects big government socialism and defends free market capitalism and, and all of those things that, that are at the very foundation of the freedoms we most cherish. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, my first question that uh, I've been wondering is how frequently do you get to talk to President Trump these days? Well, you know, we spoke, we've spoken probably about a dozen times uh, since uh, the inauguration. And, uh, uh, you know, obviously... It was a it was a difficult day in January. It was a dark day at our Capitol building. We moved past it. We finished the work, and um, I can tell you honestly, my focus is entirely on the future, and I believe that future is bright because I think what we've got to do is we've got to tell the story of what we did the last four years, smug, and not be smug about it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I like that. Okay, which is hard given the record they're amassing at home and abroad. That's right. Um, the second thing is we've got to do, be the loyal opposition. We've got to say what's wrong about their ideas on a regular basis. But then, and this is what advancing American freedom is all about, it, we also have to articulate a positive conservative agenda that will draw the American people to us, that would show how we would govern differently and base that on how we did govern differently during our administration and facing the challenges going forward. We, it, we're, the world is literally changing around us. Our strategic challenges are changing around us. We have new challenges in our economy. And I think offering positive solutions based on our conservative principles, that's, the, that's kind of the rest of the equation to winning back America. So I, I've got I got to get a couple of stories out of you, right? Because we got you on a microphone and here you are. <laughs> okay. So, so I'm trying to think, you know, you had a number of experiences. Well, for one, I heard that you actually, your plane experienced a bird strike on three separate occasions. Is that true? Okay, I don't know if it was three. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's tough luck, right? Okay. <laughs> I mean, we had the most memorable experience in the plane was during the campaign in 2016. Right. When... Um, the, the, the that title in my chapter is entitled "Long Days and Short Runways." <laughs> we landed at LaGuardia Airport and we we went off the end of the runway because we yeah we landed long uh, and uh, ended up mud splashing up on the side of the windows and we thank God everybody was fine. But I'll never forget it was the, you know the man who would become president, the man I called Donald back then, called me because it was all over television. Yeah, I remember flashing lights and making sure everybody was fine. It was amazing. So by the time we made everything, everybody was secured, everybody was off, I, I got in the car and I started to head downtown and I got a phone call immediately as soon as I got in the car. And I answered the phone and, and uh, 
And I said, and, and he said, hey, Mike, this is Donald. He said, you, you guys okay? Everybody okay? And I said, yeah. Yeah, we're, no, we're fine. Fine. It's just a little bumpy right at the end, but we're good. And he said, uh, he said oh, that's great because, you know, it'd be a real hassle to get a new running mate. This <laughs> and I said, well, thank you for your concern. I appreciate that very much. But that was, that was a moment of uh, his sense of humor that I got quite used to over the years. Yeah. Uh, but it was a great moment. Then he said, no, seriously, are you and Karen good? Or, and uh, uh, we were fine. And then we went downtown and, and joined them in New York. But, yeah, no, we had several bird strikes where we had to turn around Odd. Air Force Two. And um, it was uh, – it, it, but I got to tell you, this is no criticism of the Air Force pilots. These men and women are the best of the best of the best. Right. And uh, it was an honor to fly with them. I Everyone bet. Was. I bet. Was there ever a time in the Oval where you – let me ask it in two ways. Was there a moment where you were like, this is the best job on the face of the planet? Well, there were a lot of moments like that. I mean, honestly, to, to be there and, and watch this president keep a promise that four previous presidents had made when he moved the American embassy to Jerusalem, the capital of the state of Israel. I mean, I mean, literally, I was standing there when he was getting calls from world leaders, from people all over the country saying, you can't do it. Uh, and I watched, I watched this president say, we said we were going to do it, we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And there were lots of mul- moments like that. I, I mean, watching the way that, that President Trump was directly involved in the legislative process, you know, Josh was just amazing when we got that tax cut passed. I remember I was in Congress for 12 years. It seemed longer, okay? <laughs> but so I served eight years under a Republican president and uh, four years under a Democrat president. In all that time, uh, I got one phone call from a president. And it was the day President Bush called me about a vote in a committee. And I was, my kids were all impressed. They were all standing in the kitchen you know how it works. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. you know the call's coming, yeah. and so you tell your kids get in the kitchen. They're all like going on speakerphone. Early teens, <laughs> hang on, kids. This is the president calling, <laughs> and and so you know I picked up the phone and I talked to President Bush. You know, and he made a pitch about some vote in a committee meeting, and that was it. For one moment, you were super impressive in your family. Oh no, my kids were very impressed. <laughs> <laughs> My kids are very impressed. They got over it quickly. That's right. They were teenagers. Family always uh, does. (laughs) But truthfully, I watched when we were pushing the tax cut in 2017, and I I see some of my favorite senators who are here. They'll vouch for this. I saw this president call the same member of Congress five times in one week (laughs) to get the bill across the line. And I think when uh, when the history is written, and I'm going to write one of them, when the history of this administration is written, um, people are going to marvel at all that we were able to accomplish in a short period of time in, in tax reform, in energy independence, in rolling back regulations, in rebuilding the military, launching the Space Force, I mean, reviving American human space exploration, the, uh, th- nearly 300 conservatives on our courts, three Supreme Court. And, and the story of that is going to be of, an, of what this Alexander Hamilton's term, of what happens when you have an energetic executive, right? right? When you have a president that literally is leaning into every effort and driving, uh, driving every, 
every outcome, whether it be legislative or on the foreign policy stage. Well, along those lines, I wanted to ask one quick question. Yeah. I, I think uh, the contrast is even more stark now, given the situation we are in with this administration and, and the problems, many of which are their own doing. Yeah. Um, when you look back, it was an incredible record of success of the accomplishments. You mentioned the Supreme Court uh, securing the border. Right. The economy was booming. We had energy independence as opposed to right now. I mean, gas prices just keep First time we had day. energy independence in more than 70 years. Incredible. A net exporter of energy. So among those many accomplishments during your time in the administration, what do you think is the top accomplishment to you, and what's your biggest regret you couldn't get done? Well, I, I actually think I got a pretty quick answer to that. Maybe start with the regrets. Uh, I, I, I wish we could have had a restart on health care reform. We came awfully close. I mean, I, I was there when President Obama and the Democrats in the House and, and Senate passed Obamacare, and, and we ended up we won back the Congress in 2010, largely on that issue. We won the White House in 2016, and then we we tried a couple of different times to have a fresh start. And I still believe the answer is not ultimately the Bernie Sanders vision of more government control, more government takeover of health care, but it's, it's consumer-directed health care. It's empowering people to make their own choices. It's transparency. It's everything the free market brings to health care reform. So that's a regret. But it, we can still do it. And it still needs to be done because the government model for healthcare, we we know the the where those train tracks are going, and it ultimately is going to single payer socialized medicine, and and that that's a failure. So, um, so I I would say that as the biggest disappointment. I for me, having been able to be some small part of seeing so many principled conservatives appointed to our federal courts and to see three justices confirmed to the Supreme Court of the United States that will impact the, and, and secure our liberties for generations, uh, I think is among, uh, among our greatest accomplishments. And already are. Already are. Already are. Already are. Already are. Truly remarkable people. I mean, uh, uh, to... Uh, to see the way that, uh, that Justice Gorsuch, Justice Kavanaugh, and Indiana's own Justice Amy Coney Barrett there you go. have stepped in. And uh, it's, it's a source of great pride for me because I think long after I'm gone, and maybe even after you're gone, Smug. Um, <laughs> Smug lives forever. The direction, <laughs> the direction of the Supreme Court. Who, who gets the Twitter account? It's the vanguard of our liberties. <laughs> if Smug goes down, yeah, we'll give it That's to the great vice question, Doug. Yeah. We're going to give it to you <laughs> in a permanent place on Ruthless. What do you think? <laughs> That'd be my to, honor. But I have to clear a few of the words first. But uh, no, listen. I I, I want to ask you about some news that happened up here this week. Um, Afghanistan, obviously, you mentioned attending the services of, of one of the fallen back in Indiana. Uh, it means a lot to it. I know an awful lot of people here uh, who are concerned, clearly. Um, one of the things that was revealed this week that I think is particularly concerning in uh, General Milley's testimony was that either the current president completely ignored the advice of his generals or somehow it didn't get to him. Because he said nobody recommended troop levels below right. staying at 2,500. And, of course, right. they all said they did. What was what, what your thoughts on that? Well, I'm, I'm very aware of what our generals were recommending. 
Yeah, I mean, it's consistent. And I'm sure they recommended the same thing to President Biden that they did to President Trump. Right. Uh, and that was they always advocated for a minimum counterterrorism footprint, enough active duty personnel to protect the intelligence folks that would be on the ground. And uh, I did see President Biden say that his generals were all unanimous in recommending uh, the withdrawal. I mean, it seems impossible to believe. Well, look, I, I, let me take off former vice president hat and tell you, I'm, I'm the father of a United States Marine. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and it, it grieves my heart uh, to think that the, that the disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan didn't have to happen, but it didn't. And I, and, I, uh, and I believe with all my heart that had we been reelected, it would never have happened. And, and let me explain that to you very quickly. I mean, in February 2020, we had negotiated a deal with the Taliban that no Americans were to be harmed, that they were to negotiate with the Afghan national government, and that they would not be a safe harbor for terrorists evidence that they knew we meant business. We went 18 months without a single American casualty until that catastrophic day at Kabul airport. Um, that deal was made within a few weeks after President Trump gave the order to take out the Iranian General Qasem Soleimani. It, that deal was minted a few months uh, after we took down Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi in the last inch of the Assis Caliphate without a single American casualty. So there was a demonstration project while you're negotiating, and what I, happens if it goes sideways? I don't think uh, the Taliban had any illusions yeah. uh, about the fact that, that, that this president, our administration, meant what we said yeah. about them living up to the deal. And, uh, and I, I wrote in the Wall Street Journal in August that maybe some of your listeners can go look up to get more my thoughts on this if they'd like, but I said weakness arouses evil. And, and the evil that, that rose up and, and took Mazar al-Sharif and then literally walked into Kabul, uh, I think was, uh, was emboldened by consistent signals of weakness from the Biden administration. And I, I will tell you, it's incomprehensible to me that we would evacuate the Bagram Air Force Base in the middle of the night yeah. without telling any of our allies. And it is beyond um, my comprehension that after the president said otherwise, that we actually left Americans in Afghanistan and we left America's allies. Yeah. That's not the American way. We don't leave Americans or America's allies behind. Right. here. And in harm's way, and I, and I tell you once one quick story. Can I Yo, talk please, about this yeah. great Hoosier Marine, wonderful young guy? I, Karen and I went up to his funeral in Logansport, Indiana, a few weeks ago. We we'd gone to we'd gone to sit on the back row, if, if, just to pray for the family, just as as Marine Corps parents. Uh, but his mother, who's a wonderful and courageous. A woman said, we, we'd love to meet, and we got, we got to spend a good amount of time before the service with her. And she told us about Umberto, and I told her I would always tell his story. So I'll tell it quickly. Yeah. So he's at what's called the Abbey Gate at the Kabul airport. And the word 
that the family was told is that, that that the signal had gone out for the Marines and other service members to evacuate the gate patrols. Because presumably they had seen somebody get through the outer perimeter that might do harm. But a friend who was watching from afar told his mother, Umberto wouldn't leave because most of the people in line at his gate were children. Jeez. And he, and he stayed, he stayed at his post, getting as many kids through the gate into the airport before the bomb went off. Mm. And uh, his mother put it so well. She said, um, um, she said his last, uh, his, his last work on earth was an act of heart. And, um, but it was for all of them, these, the service members that are recovering at Walter Reed. But, but to have left our Marines and service members in that position, um, I, I just think um, I, I'm, I'm happy to see people, military personnel on Capitol Hill answering questions. But the buck stops in the Oval Office. Absolutely. That's right. And the American people need to continue to make it clear to this commander-in-chief um, that that disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan yeah. was unacceptable to the people of this country and can never, ever, ever happen again. Yeah, here, here. Very well said. Very well said. Well, listen, I got I have one, one more question before I get to our final three questions that we ask everybody, right? And this is, this is like where everybody pays attention on the Ruthless Variety program. But I, but I do want to ask you before I get to that. Okay. Look, you got an awful lot of people around here who think an awful lot about you personally, think an awful lot about what you've done for the conservative movement, your time as a vice president and in Congress, although that may be lost on you a, a touch, uh, uh, but, but appreciate it nonetheless. I have to think that there's an awful lot of people that are interested in you figuring out what does all of this mean. Do you ultimately get back into politics yourself? Do you run for president? I'm not asking if you're going to run for president because I know you're not going to answer that question. Well, I'll keep you posted. What, what, I, what I'm going to ask you, what, when you're thinking about whether or not to reenter that arena, what are the things that you need to be assured you and your family of in order to take that step? Well, I think it's a wonderful question. And... and and I think particularly thoughtfully asked. Thank you. Appreciate because, well, look, you know, for us, it, our lives are about our, our faith in God and our family first. And so, um, but I'll be honest with you, Josh, I, I, you know, people who know me well know I'm not a long-term planner. <laughs> it's worked out pretty well so far. I, see, I was going to say, I see staff <laughs> nodding their heads, but it seems like it worked out. <laughs> I mean, I'm not. I, I, I believe in servant leadership. And, you know, for me, it was actually, you can, I hope you buy my book. I would love to buy your book. You, you send us the link. We're going to tweet that okay, thing. Okay, I would, I hope you buy Because <laughs> one of the things that I liked is Simon & Schuster said, you know, you weren't born the day before Donald Trump called you to join the ticket. We'd kind of like to know how you became you. Okay. I mean, they wanted to know about my upbringing in, in rural Indiana. They wanted to know about... My coming to my faith in Christ. They wanted me to know about starting out in Democrat politics and being won over to the Reagan Revolution and all of that. But, you know, for me, the time that we got elected to Congress was actually my third time trying. Mm. And we had three little kids. 
I had the radio show all over Indiana, had built the dream house. Um, you know, it was, uh, I mean, I was kind of Rush Limbaugh on decaf in Indiana. I was, <laughs> I was having a lot of fun. It was the best three-hour-a-day job I ever had. <laughs> Tell me about it. And <laughs> so the opportunity came to run for Congress, and, and for us, early in my life, it was, I wanted to do it. I ran it. I, but when we ran for Congress a third time, it was a sense of calling, hmm. of feeling after the 90s, and we all remember the challenges of the 90s, a, a feeling like, you know, I might be able to go and make a difference for the values that I believe in. And so we sold the dream house, we packed up the kids, we moved back to our hometown, we risked everything, we ran for Congress, and God blessed it. And we were able to serve and represent our hometown in Washington. And the same thing came at the end of 12 years when people in Indiana, after a, after a great eight years with a new Republican governor who'd really laid a foundation for an Indiana turnaround, people came and said, we think you're uniquely positioned to come home and keep this going. And, and we went home because that's where we felt called. And, and the same thing came when, uh, in 2016 when the phone rang. Um, Karen and I, a, a friend, mutual friend reached out and just asked if we'd be interested in being considered. We spent time together. We, Karen and I talked about it, prayed about it, felt a great connection to not only his vision, but to him, a great ease around them from the first time that we met. And, but we didn't seek it. We just, we literally put it in the Lord's hands and, and the phone rang and can I tell you about that story? Sure, go ahead. Uh, you, go can, right you can edit it out later no, if you I want. Do it. Well, I got that. We got we got they got the tip that we were going to get the nod. It was a Wednesday, and they said the phone call is going to come tonight. This would be about eleven o'clock. So there I was standing in the study at the governor's residence in Indiana. My wife's at my side. We'd already told the kids. We prayed. We said, "Look, the call's coming. We're going to say yes." And everybody was in. So I'm standing down there next to my desk, and the phone rings. And I picked up the phone, and I heard that familiar voice over the telephone say, Mike, it's going to be great. <laughs> and then he went into it. He said, you know, but look, we got to go everywhere. we got to campaign. You go east, I'll go west. You go north, I go south. But we're going to go. We're going to win this thing. We need to go tell the American people we got a vision. And he went on for about five or six minutes. <laughs> And, and as soon as he took a breath, I said, well, if there's a question in there, the answer is yes. <laughs> and he says, oh, no, 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 yeah, no, I want you to do it. I want you to do it. So I would tell you. I would Sounds tell like you, my wedding proposal. You know, <laughs> I mean, finding, the man knows how to close a deal. Yeah, right. So I said, uh, you, know, you know, I said yes, and, and the rest is our history. And I've been, I was privileged to be a part of 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 an administration that made such a difference in in the defense of this nation, the prosperity of this nation, protecting the liberties of this nation. And uh, what I can tell you is creating, advancing American freedom, working with young Americans foundation. I'll be traveling to universities starting this fall and next year, talking to young people about our ideals and our values. I'm, I'm doing writing. I'm going to be helping the team and uh, you know, I'm just I'm just a big believer in you. You focus on what's in front of you today. You stand up for what you believe in, and 
we'll let the future take care of itself. Well, I, I want to follow up on that. So uh, President Trump has said that he is considering running. If he were to, would you, I've heard that. Would you anticipate <laughs> being on uh, that ticket? I look, I just, I can honestly tell you that wherever my wife and I feel called, we'll go. A friend of mine in politics said many years ago, he said, there's two kinds of people in Washington, D.C. People that are called and people that are driven. And I can honestly tell you, at age 62, the last 20 years of our life's been a privilege. And so whatever the future holds, we'll just, we'll take it to prayer. We'll examine our hearts. But I love this country, Smug. And I don't mean to be smug about that. This is the greatest nation on earth. And I think it's fallen to us as conservatives and Republicans to defend and advance the freedom that's made this the greatest nation the world has ever known. I love Amen. it. Amen. I love it. All right, we're wrapped. We got three big questions everybody wants okay. to get the answer to. All right. This is you've got the only wrong answer to these questions is an inauthentic answer. Right? So it's gotta he's gotta think about this. Right? Okay. All right, so the first question. So you don't want inauthentic. <laughs> no, that's, okay. that's, we, we, we are not looking for that. I got it. Uh, the first question is, if you could choose your last meal on earth, come on, what would it be? Um, Supreme Pizza and O'Doul's. <laughs> Wait, any, any particular pizza joint? Well, uh, no. I'm actually just not that Supreme particular. Supreme Pizza, just throw it all on there. No, Friday night is pizza night at the Pence House. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm... Uh, I'm a teetotaler, as the saying goes. So I have, but I have to have a beer with pizza. Right, <laughs> it's part of the rules. I had far too much experience with that, and uh, so yeah, pizza no duels. I love it. Okay, yeah. yeah. All right. So second question that would send me to heaven smiling. There you go. There you go. And you don't have to worry about calories at that point. So you're all set. <laughs> um, all right. So second question is: yeah. If you never got into public service at all, if you never no politics, nothing, what do you think you'd be doing with your life? Well, I. You can say you're like want to be an NBA player. We we accept all answers. <laughs> yeah, that's what Ted Cruz said. That's what he said. And like, if he can yeah. be an NBA player, I feel like he got a shot. Yeah, but I'm not as I'm not as quick as Ted Cruz. I, I can't I can't come up with that. I you know honestly, um, had I not gone into into public life, um, I don't I don't know what I'd be doing, but I'd be home for dinner. Yeah, that I makes sense. Me, I, I mean, mean, for me, you know, I've been I've been a lawyer. I've I've been a, a policy group president. I've been a talk show host, a vice president, a governor, a congressman, and now I host a podcast. Yes, a very important uh, one. Kind of a big deal. Yeah, podcasters uh, a good answer to this one. But I, <laughs> you know, whatever I do, I would tell you, for me, it's it's always been the greatest accomplishments of of. Uh, of Karen in my life, or Michael, Charlotte, and Audrey, and um, um, whatever we'd be doing, we'd be home for dinner. Well, that's the most sincere answer we've had yet on the program. I appreciate that. Very nice, Mr. Mr. Vice President. So here's a third question, and this one i got to explain a little bit, because there's not an obvious uh, answer to it. It's what motivates you more, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? Now, here, for everybody who's not a listener, this is the way this goes. The thrill of victory is the glass-half-full optimist always charging up the hill, undaunted, smile on their face, right? The agony of defeat guy is Michael Jordan, right? He just hates the idea that there could ever possibly be somebody out there that could beat him. So he wakes up every day 
just animated about making sure that he proves that that never happens, right? So those are the two poles. Which one do you identify with? Well, I heard Mitch McConnell answered this a certain way, and you didn't he lied to me, him, and you didn't believe him. He lied. To me. <laughs> <laughs> what did he say? The thrill of victory, John. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If if I would have known you had a Mitch McConnell, we could have yeah. done this whole. You know, thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you just said you looked at him and said no, <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, you know, I. It's a really tough question because I'm. Um, I'm a pretty easygoing guy, but my my son said to me not long ago, after we we played another round of golf on Xbox, he said, "Dad, you're a very competitive person." <laughs> so I don't like to lose. That's right. I don't like to lose. But honestly, for me, uh, and and this may not be a good ruthless answer, but you know, for me, the stakes are so high that. Uh, it's it's probably not not the fear of losing an election. It's a fear of losing everything that's made this country great. It's a fear of of losing the the foundation uh, of liberties that have created the greatest prosperity uh, the world has ever known. It's the, it's the fear of losing a sense of of patriotism and exceptionalism. It's a fear of of being of losing being a country like my grandfather came to when he got off the boat on Ellis Island. He drove a bus for 40 years, and, and he saw his daughter marry a fast-talking salesman and go down to a small town and, and build a great life. Um, I don't, I don't want to lose the American dream. I don't want to lose America's place as a beacon of hope and liberty. So, so what drives me back into this debate, the same thing that's always driven me, is I don't want to lose what's ever, always made America great, and uh, and I have every belief with all the good people gathered here and even maybe some listening on Ruthless today that uh, we're not going to lose it. Uh, we're going to win it back. Um, my favorite verse in the Bible in such moments is where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. That means when we make freedom's work ours, we make his work on this earth our own. And that means freedom always wins. And we're going to win again. Ah. Well, well thank you very much. Three great answers. Outstanding. Vice President Mike Pence, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Josh. Thank you so much. Just great. Thank you. What an exciting day. I just love the opportunity to do this. Smug, you obviously asked some important questions there. I thought we got some good personality out of the vice president. Nice to sit down with some of these guys when they have the ability to be themselves. Right. You know, well, you know, when he came up in radio, like, so this is a natural format for the guy. Totally. Um, you know, I mean, I think he's got a lot of personality and uh, I would love for him to ride shotgun on a whole episode. Really? Yeah, that would be fun. We should definitely get him back. We should. We I mean, a lot of people want him, you know, they want to hear what he has to say. Yeah, he's had a he's had an incredible look and incredible amount of things. Yeah. And uh, and it was a pleasure. Thank you to to him and his staff. For and a credit to him to agreeing to sit down with jackals exactly. like us. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Awesome, fellas! A banger it was. Like you said, Holmes. Great episode. Great interview. We're seeing. Looks like we're getting more and more of these big time episodes. So, until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Tuesday. Stay ruthless.